Good morning, everyone. As we continue on in our series, The Church as Diaspora, uh, we're going to be looking at a topic today that uh, affects every single one of us during the coronavirus event, and it's very close to the heart of God, and that is the topic of helping and ministering to the poor among us. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to James chapter 1, verse 27. The Apostle James wrote in the days of the early church, and he wrote to what he called the 12 tribes of the diaspora. That was the Jewish Christians that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And I think in James chapter 1, verse 27, this verse really captures uh, the message of the entire epistle of what James was trying to communicate in terms of living life, uh, Christian life practically. James chapter 1, verse 27, James wrote this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James, as he wrote this, was encouraging the early Christians and he was saying that pure and perfect religion, religion that is undefiled, as you as a follower of Jesus Christ, worship God through the power of the Holy Spirit in the community of the church, that kind of religion does two things. First, it it runs away from being spiritually stained by the values and beliefs and spirituality of the world. And secondly, it runs towards helping the most vulnerable and needy among you. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, today. Last week, we looked at that second part of the verse, what it looks like to be spiritually unstained by the world. Today, we're going to look at how can we as followers of Jesus Christ live lives that run towards helping the most vulnerable and needy among us and expressing the compassion and grace and love and mercy of God uh, to those around us. Let's pray together. Father, you sent your son Jesus Christ into this world to become poor so that we might become rich. And you showed compassion to those of us who were poor in spirit. And I pray, Lord, that your church would be compassionate as an expression of the grace and mercy that you have given to us. I pray that we would not grow weary in doing good uh, because we are reminded that we will reap a harvest of righteousness as we continue to do good to those around us, especially to the believers in the family of faith. And we pray that would happen through this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. In the pre-coronavirus world, those of us who were not already poor tended to look at the poor from a distance. The panhandler on the street, the person who's homeless on Skid Row, um, the, the child in a developing world country who needs food and clean water. And we would tend to, for many of us, look at the poor from a distance in society. In the coronavirus society, the poor are people that you know. They are the 34 million people who have applied for unemployment uh, as of this date, May 10th, 2020. They're the people who are missing mortgage payments. They're the people who are working in the gig economy out of necessity to survive. These are our friends. These are our neighbors. Uh, the poor has been brought closer to us in society. In the pre-coronavirus church, those of us who are not poor, for many of us, we would tend to help and minister to the poor at a distance. We would volunteer at a soup kitchen. Uh, we would donate money to a homeless mission. We might go on a mission trip to a developing world country for a week or two out of the year. My, maybe we saw some people in, in our church and we said, um, you know, I'll pray for you. Uh, let me know if there's anything I can do 
for you. For, but for many of us who are not poor ourselves, we would tend to minister to the poor at a distance. In the coronavirus church, every single church has the poor among us. Every single Christian is living in a context where we have many opportunities for the people that are right in front of us, especially in the family of faith, to help them and to show the compassion and mercy and love of God towards them. The coronavirus event has, it has expanded our definition of the poor and it has closed the gap, closed the distance between those of us who have and those of us who have not in terms of opportunities that are put right in front of us. And as you look around in culture, you see heroes being born and villains arising. You see heroes being born in this area, uh, people who are doing heroic acts to help the most needy and poor among us, uh, people who are frontline workers, people who um, work at the hospital, people who work at the grocery store to uh, deliver groceries or to go deliver groceries to the elderly, uh, people who are just helping in every area of society, and even through random acts. We hear of stories of people who uh, go out to eat and leave a $10,000 tip for their waitress because they thought that they needed that. And so you're seeing cultural heroes arise in this moment. And I wonder if the church, if God is using this moment to declare to the church that your time of spiritual quarantine will one day be released in the future for you to step forward into this moment, for you to declare and to live out the very best of who I am as God and the very best of who you are in Jesus Christ as you minister and help and are compassionate to those around you who are in need. Not only are we seeing cultural heroes and the church going to step into that moment to declare God as the hero, but we're also seeing the rise of villains who spread their evil through those around them, who take advantage of the poor, who oppress the poor. And I wonder if God is also saying to, this church, to the church in this moment that I'm going to put you under a microscope. I'm going to put my church under a microscope to reveal to herself that there has been a villainy that lives inside of her in the past that has tended to look at the poor with partiality, that has tended to look at the poor with distinction, and, um, and to have a hard-hearted uh, heart towards their needs. And is that a part of our Christian walk? Should that be a part of a Christian walk? We all know not. I think God is putting the church under a microscope to reveal to her, her the reticence that she has had at times in the past to warn those who were rich, who placed their faith in riches and not in God, to warn those who are rich not to oppress the poor for God hears their cries and he will come against that. Is the church needing to step into that moment courageously? And this is what James says in James chapter 1, verse 27, when he says that religion that is pure and undefiled is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Uh, he's capturing all of that. When he says that uh, your religion that is played out as you follow Jesus Christ is uh, to visit orphans and widows and their reflections. When he says this word visit, what he means is not just to go see them. The Greek word had really the idea of to help, to look out for the interests of, and to sacrifice for, to love in a tangible, practical way. When he says to visit orphans and widows, uh, these were the most vulnerable in all of uh, first century Palestine, the orphans who had no father and the widows who had no husband. 
and they're the most socioeconomically uh, vulnerable category in the first century. And what James is really saying is that as you go to minister to, and to help those around you, go to help society in general, but first go to help those who are followers of Christ in the family of faith. That is how your religion is best expressed to all, but to those especially that are part of the family of believers. Um, I wanna spend a few moments talking about the context of this verse, James chapter one, verse 27, in the broader Old Testament and New Testament context, and then specifically in the context of the book of James. And so let's take a, a step back as we look at that wider context in the Old and New Testament first. In the Old Testament, uh, Israel had three main spiritual problems. She had the problem of uh, idolatry, idolizing uh, false gods and false things of the world. She had the problem of fake, phony, hypocritical religion. And she had the problem of oppressing and taking advantage of the poor among her. And this is actually the three themes of James chapter 1, verse 27. When James says, um, have religion that is pure and undefiled, he's saying, don't have fake religion. When he says, um, don't be uh, don't be stained, spiritually stained by the beliefs and values and spirituality of the world. He's saying, don't idolize the false things of the world. When he is saying, uh, visit and take care of the orphan and the widow, he is saying, don't take advantage of the poor as you have done in the past or as the Jewish culture has in the past. We are to live differently. And uh, the Jewish hearers, the Jewish Christians would have understood this clearly from both their Old Testament history and the New Testament context. In the Old Testament, they heard this over and over again, warnings, encouragements, um, uh, punishments for how they treated or didn't treat the poor. In the law, they were told this. In the prophets, they were told this. And in the books of wisdom, they were told this in the Old Testament. In the books uh, of the law, in the book of Deuteronomy, for example, uh, Israel was told that uh, once every three years, you are to bring a tenth of your crops, one-tenth of your crops, and give it to the poor so that the alien, the orphan, the widow among you uh, may not go hungry. And they were commanded to do that in the law. In uh, the prophets, the major and the minor prophets uh, spoke to uh, Israel and to Judah, and they warned and rebuked and encouraged and, and commanded Israel and Judah both before, during, and after the Assyrian and Babylonian um, invasions and captivity. In the, the books of wisdom in the Old Testament, uh, like the book of Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and others, uh, God is consistently portrayed as a God who both defends the cause of the poor and comes against those who would oppress the poor. And so when James says in James chapter 1, verse 27, that we are to have pure and undefiled religion, and that is expressed in one way to visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction, uh, this would have been capturing on the spiritual DNA of the Jewish people in the Old Testament and the spiritual RNA of the New Testament church. And this goes to the very foundations of what they were about. Even in the New Testament Gospels, you see in Jesus's ministry, uh, he would often minister to the poor. Some of them wanted just a free lunch, but many of them came to be his followers. Um, and they were either poor or poor in spirit. You see this in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, at the birth of the church. It says that there were so many poor believers in Jerusalem. They were there 
and uh, for the Feast of Pentecost. And when they became Christians, they couldn't go back, a lot of them, to their own homes because they were uh, thrown out of their homes. And so they, you have this huge church and all this poverty in Jerusalem. And it says in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that the early church sold their possessions, gave them to the apostles, uh, the proceeds, and the apostles distributed it to any who had need. And it says they were all taken care of. They all worshiped the Lord and grew in the faith and um, helping the poor among them uh, in the early church was a huge part of that. In the epistles, you find that with uh, not just the Apostle James, but the Apostle Paul. Uh, when Paul was, was doing his missionary ministry, the greatest missionary the world has ever known outside of Jesus. And he was saying that the apostles came to him, it says, and they said, as you go evangelize, as you go plant churches, you go on your missionary trips and you go about your ministry, the apostles said to Paul, just remember the poor. And Paul's reply to them was, that was the very thing I was eager to do. And so we see this in both the Old and New Testament context. And when you come to the context of the book of James now, we see at least four themes uh, that relate that, uh, to uh, this verse, verse 27 of chapter 1, that would have made this especially powerful to the hearers that James was writing to of uh, the tribes of the diaspora, uh, the early church. Number one. Uh, James would have known that there were rich Christians uh, that were reading this epistle. And he's not condemning Christians for being rich. Uh, there are many Christians who were rich throughout uh, the New and Old Testament as followers of Jesus Christ. You can think of in the Gospels, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Nicodemus. You can go forward into the early days of the church and see believers like uh, uh, Cornelius, the wealthy centurion, or Lydia uh, at Philippi, who was a, a businesswoman who dealt in per expensive purple clothing. You can think of a powerhouse couple of uh, Aquila and Priscilla uh, who would go and minister to these different churches uh, as, as a couple. And so there are many rich believers in the New Testament. And James is not condemning them for being rich. But secondly, uh, he was wanting to warn them, don't place your trust in riches. The next crowd that James was speaking to is that while some of them were rich, the majority of them were poor. And who James James's primary audience would have been were people who were merchants uh, in the marketplace, earning a daily living. They, they would have been day laborers, the kind of uh, day laborers that Jesus talked about in the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20, who showed up in the morning, worked, got paid at the end of the day. They would have been um, the poor because they were kicked out of their family for uh, becoming followers of Jesus Christ. They would have been poor because at that time when James wrote this epistle, somewhere around the mid to late 40s AD, there was an, a huge famine that had taken place throughout the region of Judea. Uh, this is talked about in Acts chapter 11. And so most of the people were poor. A third issue uh, in the context of the book of James in terms of who he's writing to is that he's addressing two circumstances primarily. First, that there were uh, Christians when they would come together in their assembly, in their times of church, they would come together and a, he says, a rich man will come into your assembly, a poor man will come into your assembly, and you treat with treat with favoritism the rich and you treat with disdain the poor the, those early assemblies they would have um uh benches maybe kind of just a few benches in the front of their assembly and uh, those were privileged places and oftentimes uh those were places for uh, people of high status most people sat cross-legged legged or they sat on the ground and so when the rich would come in they would give them those best seats 
And when the poor would come, they would say, you can sit at my foot or stand in the back. And James says, this is evil. And he said, don't show partiality. And there was a second circumstance that was happening in the context of the book of James. And that was, um, James was warning some rich people who were placing their faith in their riches and oppressing the poor. He was saying, uh, God will judge you. You should weep and wail. You should not indulge in your riches apart from God. A fourth uh, element of the context of the book of James is that James wants to remind the early Christians that everyone is equal, whether you're rich or poor, everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. He says in James chapter two, verse one, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James said no less than 15 times throughout his epistle as he refers to uh, the recipients as his brothers or his brothers and sisters. And that term is not just a term of endearment. It's a term to say that we are equal. We are all equal uh, as sinners in need of the grace and salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say this throughout his epistle. He says um, that in equality, God gives wisdom to all, that all face temptation, that all stumble in many ways, that all are brought forth by the word of truth as the first fruits of creation. And so James emphasizes this equality in Christ, and we are to treat each other as brothers and sisters, no matter if we're rich or if we're poor. What I want to do right now is I want to uh, focus on how we can live this out practically. And I have six examples right now, six case studies that have all happened uh, during the coronavirus event, either things that I've noticed or conversations I've had or things that I've acted upon. Uh, but it's not really about me. It's, it's about um, how can we uh, apply this practically, what James is saying. And maybe I'm, I'm hoping you might find yourself in some of these examples in some way or another. So let's go to these six examples of case studies during the coronavirus events. Every one of these um, have happened in the past two months. Number one, how we live out James chapter one, verse 27, to visit and care for the widows and orphans in their affliction is being played out in the lives of City Bible Church, the members of City Bible Church. And I'm just so proud to be your pastor and to see how um, you've been obedient to live out a pure and undefiled religion through um, giving to the Galatians chapter six, verse nine and 10 fund. When the coronavirus event really broke out here in America and we were all going into self-quarantine, maybe about two months ago, um, myself and the other elders, we realized that our, our community was particularly vulnerable. We have many low income people, people who would be drastically affected. And so we immediately started this fund called the Galatians chapter six, verse nine and 10 fund. It's based on that same verse where Paul wrote in those verses, uh, do not grow weary in doing good for if you do not we will reap a harvest of righteousness and let us do good to, to all people but especially those that are part of the family of faith and so we established this fund and we encourage people to give to it and we said a hundred percent of this funding will go to other believers that are in need specifically uh, in our church or in some way connected to our church and we kind of just threw it out there and um, you have given faithfully and sacrificially and generously uh, people within our own church or people from the outside of our church who uh, believe in our ministry. And in two months, we have raised close to $20,000 for this fund. That is $20,000 above and beyond your normal giving, which has been faithful during this time. 
And uh, we have distributed the majority of that to other believers who are in need, who have lost jobs or ha drastically had, have, had their hours cut or are helping their family out through this or in some ways um, having massive bills pile up. And so, uh, number one, you are to be commended for that City Bible Church as you are living out James chapter 1, verse 27 uh, in a very practical way and real and immediate way. Number two, you're going to find that during the coronavirus event, God has and he will continue to bring into your life other believers who are suffering and in need. And you will have an opportunity, uh, maybe not in a corporate uh, fund like the Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 fund, but you will have opportunity individually to help, especially other believers that are in need. And God will bring that before you. Two weeks ago, I got a call from Rwanda in Africa. And I saw, you know, I'd call her ID. And so I was looking at that and I said, Rwanda. Um, and I just assumed it was a scam call. So I let it go to voicemail. And I thought, you know, there's only one person that I know uh, personally that lives in Rwanda. And that was a Compassion International child that my, I, I had supported for about 15 years, from 1996 to about 2010, 2011. And uh, you know, Compassion International is a Christian organization that uh, they encourage people to give recurring donations every month. And as you do, you support a single child in a developing world country who's impoverished. And through their ministry, they feed the child, they give them education, they uh, uh, give them Christian discipleship. And so the child that I chose to sponsor in the mid-1990s was a young boy named Gasangwa, and he lived in Rwanda. And so I listened to this voicemail, and it was Gasangwa, and he called me from Rwanda. Now, we're Facebook friends. We've instant messaged before, but this is the first time we really had a conversation, and he left me a voicemail, and so I immediately went onto Facebook. I messaged him, and I said, um, you know, I'm sorry I missed your call. If you call me back, I'll, I'll answer. And within 30 minutes, he called me. And we had a great conversation to hear his voice uh, for 20 minutes. We talked about uh, his life, uh, my life here in America. And he kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. You helped save my life. And I said, you know, it really wasn't me. It was God. But he said he's still a follower of Jesus Christ. He goes to a church. He reads his Bible. He prays. And, um, and he said, I, I wish to meet you face to face. And I said, well, that'd be great. You know, maybe one day I can fly to Africa or maybe fly you out from Africa uh, to America. Let's pray for that. And so we hung up. It was a great conversation. And at, at that night I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I'm sleeping in my house. I have a car. I can eat a steak tomorrow night if I want. And he's living in Rwanda and he's part of the family of faith and he's a believer. Uh, there's something wrong with this picture uh, where... Um, in Rwanda, the Rwandan francs, the equivalent of that is that the average Rwandan lives, um, who has a job, makes less than $10,000 a year. And so as I was thinking about the difference between his context in Kigali, the Kigali um, area of Africa, and me being here in Long Beach, California, uh, my conscience was just pricked. And so I said, uh, I'm gonna find a way to help him. So next day, I went online and I went to Western Union and I got some information from Gasangwa through Facebook and I just wired him some money uh, a few times and just to help him. And I said, you know, I just asked that you use this money in a God-honoring way. And he said, I'm using it to, to use my family, to help my family. My parents are old. I'm going to use it to establish a business. And, uh, and that was my attempt to live out James chapter 1, verse 27. And not in a way that I'm mentioning to, to you right now to trumpet it before you, 
but to say, follow me as I try and follow Christ. I don't do it perfectly, but God is going to place across your path, especially other believers. Maybe they live here in America. Maybe they live in Rwanda. Um, and I would encourage you to support a child from Compassion International or some other good Christian ministry that helps the most um, needy among us, whether they live here or in another um, country. And so God is going to do that. Number three, you're going to find that during this time that as you help people in wider society, uh, your help that you give to the most vulnerable and the most needy often will look no different than an unbelieving world's help of those same groups in society. It'll be essentially look the same. And uh, maybe you're going to patronize local businesses like an unbelieving world does. Maybe you're going to um, encourage people on social media to donate money to an organization that um, helps feed people or helps clothe people uh, that's a non-Christian organization. And I want to say three things about that. Number one, that act of helping people in general who are in need, that's a good thing, whether you're Christian or not. And I think that's very important, uh, no matter where you donate, that in general, that is a good thing to help the poor and the needy. Number two, but for the Christian, we need to have other considerations beyond that. We need to be asking the question, a couple of more questions and say, number one, after I've donated in a general way, that's really very little different than the world. Number one, um, is my good work in some way pointing to God? Is my, in, is my uh, donation or my helping the needy in some way resulting in some kind of testimony towards God? This is what James was getting to when he was writing James chapter 1, verse 27. He was connecting helping the orphan and the widow in their affliction to religion that is pure and undefiled. That is, you live as a follower of Jesus Christ and you worship God through the power of the Holy Spirit in community with the church, that is true and undefiled and pure religion. And that is now connected to helping the needy and vulnerable among you. And so I think we need to be asking the question, um, how is my general giving to the poor or donating or helping the poor any different in its testimony than the world? Uh, this is what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter, 25, uh, Matthew chapter 5, where he said, uh, let your light shine before men. Church, let your light of good works shine before men so that when they see your good works, they will what? Praise and give thanks to your Father God who is in heaven. And I think we need to be asking ourselves that question. Uh, secondly, we need to also be asking ourselves the question, not only just is my help the same as the world's, but also uh, not only is my help in some way giving a testimony towards God, but also is my help going especially to the family of believers. This is what Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 that we talked about. He says, do good unto all people, but especially those who are part of the family of faith. It's very important. Are we helping believers and not just society in general? Very important consideration. Number four, um, you're going to find that as you help the poor, minister to the poor, especially if you're in community with the poor, that there's going to be a sanctifying influence on your own life that you will benefit from. Uh, many of you guys know that uh, Lorraine and I spent really 15 years, have spent 15 years ministering in the context where, con different contexts where um, the poor um, are all around us in downtown Long Beach and in downtown Los Angeles. 
and through our work in various capacities for the Union Rescue Mission on Skid Row. And, uh, and through that, we've learned that there's been a sanctifying influence as we've been involved uh, with the poor in community. Uh, many of the people that are some of my closest friends today are people that I've met along that journey who come from a very different background than I came from. And if I was to get married to this day, uh, many of them would be in my wedding party and you know who you are. And I spoke recently at a college fellowship group um, and they asked me, um, at, at, it's a group called AACF at USC, my alma mater. And uh, they asked me to speak on issues of cultural identity as an Asian American. And they said, you know, one of the things we want you to address, Pastor Chris, is to address how a lot of Asian Americans deal with issues of shame, guilt, and performance um, in, in their journey. And I want you to, they, they asked me to address that uh, from a Christian perspective. So I shared what I shared. And then one of the college students on this Zoom meeting, there's probably about 40 or 50 of them, asked me a question and they said, so are you saying that uh, we need to be involved um, in our everyday lives with helping and ministering to the poor? And I said to them a couple things. I said, well, I am not saying that you need to immediately run out and go befriend someone on Skid Row. And that has to be uh, the main expression of what you do. And you, you're inviting them into your home. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that um, there are so many verses in scripture that call upon God's people to help and minister to the poor. Uh, that cannot not be part of our lives. And when we do that, uh, God uses that experience to sanctify us. You see, there's a difference between helping the poor and being in community with the poor. A lot of times we want to help the poor, but we're not in community with the poor to any degree. And so um, I said to them, I've learned two things from not only just helping the poor, but being in community with the poor. Number one is that uh, that experience has sanctified me. You know, as an Asian American, I'm not saying that I don't deal with shame or unhealthy shame or unhealthy guilt or unhealthy performance anxiety um, in terms of uh, how well I do in life and, and perform for the world around me. But I am saying that through my friendship uh, with those who are in need, God has used that to sanctify me. You're going to be told, I told the college students for years, that you have to go to counseling to deal with these issues in your own life. But I found, I made one decision. And that eliminated most of those unhealthy considerations from my own life. I just became friends, lifelong friends, year after year with those who were in um, deep need. And I began to look at my own life and go, what kind of shame do I have? What kind of guilt do I have? What kind of uh, performance do I have that are all ungodly uh, ways of looking at myself and life in Christ? When I'm around these uh, believers who are in great need, and um, how can I complain about my life? And it really has sanctified me in terms of uh, keeping me from complaining and grumbling as much as I could about my life and to try and honor God with my life. So I said it's had a sanctifying influence in that way. And secondly, it has had a sanctifying influence by reminding me of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, as I have tried to minister to those in need, I've realized that I am the poor. I am the beggar in need of grace from God. And number six, and finally today, uh, uh, number five, rather, I've realized that um, through this time that we need to treat other uh, people who are in need and not shortchange them and not take advantage of the poor among us. In this fifth example, uh, it's an example of not shortchanging the poor. When the coronavirus first started, uh, I made a decision. I said, you know, if I need groceries, I'm going to go and go buy my own groceries. I'm not going to put someone else's uh, life at risk to get my ice cream. 
And as it progressed, I started to see the other side of it where I said, you know, um, but there are a lot of people who are out of work now and they need money in the gig economy. And so um, if I'm going to pay them and they're going to go out and get groceries, then I made this decision for me and Lorraine that we were going to tip really well, that we were going to pay them above and beyond what they would normally get in tips. And so I can kind of see it both ways. Um, and it reminds me in James chapter five, where James uh, warned the rich and he said, uh, do not take advantage of the poor. These, uh, the rich in that context were not paying the poor and the poor were crying out against them and God was hearing their cry. And so I said, if I'm going to hire some gig workers to help me, I'm gonna pay them really well. And so um, I'd be interested in your comments on that, but I can see it both ways. Uh, number six and final example for today is that uh, this is actually a warning to Christians who are rich. And it's a warning, uh, this is a, a rather a warning to Christians to warn those who were rich, the rich who are placing their faith in the riches and not in God, the rich who are oppressing the poor. Uh, James writes this in James chapter five, verse one through three and verse five. He says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Uh, these are just powerful warnings um, coming from a Christian to the rich uh, who place their faith in their riches. And you might be listening to this and saying, well, I'm not rich. I'm not even a believer, Pastor Chris. Um, I'm not a millionaire, so I'm not rich. And I think a functional definition of rich that I've come up with, which I think the Apostle James would completely agree with, especially in the first century context, is rich is not if you have a million dollars here in America. Rich, I think a better definition of it is if you have choices. If you have choices in life in terms of where to live, what vacation to take, what kind of car to drive, if you want to eat a steak for dinner uh, tonight, then you're rich. That would be considered rich compared to the original audience in which James wrote to. I was listening to, um, an, uh, to a video recently. I was on YouTube. A video came up by a very popular uh, Christian financial advisor. And uh, it kind of had an interesting title, so I just clicked it. I don't normally listen to this person, but I said I'm going to listen to what their perspective is. And this Christian financial advisor was giving advice uh, was giving actually their commentary on a situation that happened in New York City where there was a very famous artist. If I mention them, you all know who this person is. And this famous artist went out for a night on the town and uh, they had some friends with them. They were celebrating a friend's birthday and they spent 90, over $90,000 on food and alcoholic drinks. And they gave over $10,000 of tips that night to those who were helping them. And so uh, this Christian financial commentator uh, heard about this story and they were giving their take on it, um, their Christian take on this rich uh, artist who is not a Christian. They've never proclaimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ and they make millions and millions of dollars. And so this, listen to this quote. I, it's a fairly long quote, but I want to give it the entire context. This Christian financial advisor giving their take on that uh, famous artist who spent $100,000 for a night on the town in New York City. Quote, this person said, in other words, this person who spent all the money, 
they're okay. They said, it's weird for you and me because our incomes, um, we're not making $42 million a year. And this financial advisor went on to say, well, you're saying that this person could have used the money to feed starving children. And then they answer this hypothetical comment. They say, who says that this person doesn't feed starving children? Shut up. You don't know what they do or don't do. But this idea that you have to hate on this person for dropping $100,000 when the person is a world-class business person, a world-class artist at what they do. Again, I'm not defending this person because they're a friend of mine. I don't even know this person, but I'm just defending the concept. And then they went on to go on to describe the concept. They said, A, this person has earned the right. B, this person did not hurt anyone. C, this person did not spend that much because they bought their own alcohol. Uh, and I guess they have an alcoholic line of drinks. They said, if you make $42 million a year and go out for a night on the town and you spend $100,000 for the night, that is like someone making $420,000 a year and spending $100 a night, or someone making $42,000 a year and spending $10. And then they went on to give, again, a hypothetical response. Well, you say, well, that's opulent, that's gaudy, that is over-the-top extravagant, you should not do that. And then they respond, says you? That is the problem we have in America. You get to figure out what this person does with their money. They didn't do anything wrong. They're celebrating their friend and being generous to other tables, promoting their own brand and their own product. They didn't do anything wrong. And uh, I wonder what the Apostle James would say in that same circumstance. I wonder what kind of commentary James would say uh, to this rich person. And I think James would say the same thing that he said in James chapter five. I think he would say, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth, your gold is rotting away. It will not save you. And he said, you have hoarded your wealth in the last days. And he goes on to say in verses after that, that the Lord is coming soon and the Lord will judge. And those who are rich that place their faith in riches as opposed to God, uh, you need to turn from that and beg for mercy and cast your life upon God for placing your faith for your salvation and your life in your wealth instead of placing your faith and salvation in the wealth and the riches of Jesus Christ that is revealed to you as a follower of his. I want to close uh, with bringing this verse, James chapter 1, verse 27, back to the gospel. James says that pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And I think the gospel is, is within that verse. I think when, um, and, and you know, especially when he goes on to say that, uh, and, and to keep yourself undefiled by the world, I think all those elements in that verse, you see the gospel. When James says to um, keep yourself pure and undefiled, by the world. Um, we, the only way, uh, uh, keep your religion pure and undefiled, the only way we can have pure and undefiled religion is through Jesus Christ. He is the pure one. He is the undefiled one. He is the one who has brought us his purity so that we can now come together as the body of Christ. When James says that we are to minister to the orphan and the widow, we are to realize that not only are we helping those who are vulnerable and needy, but we are the vulnerable. We are the spiritual needy compared to God. We are the beggar compared to God spiritually. And when James says that um, the world is a place of pollution and being stained spiritually, that is the place where the evil one takes control of all the world systems and beliefs to tempt us away from God. 
And so praise God. He has uh, brought us into the sphere of salvation to have a pure and undefiled religion uh, through Christ Jesus, the body of Christ. And that we, out of a response to the compassion and mercy that he's given to us, are commanded and called upon and warned to go and minister to the most vulnerable among us, the most needy among us, especially those who belong to the family of faith. And that as we run towards that, we are to run from being spiritually stained from the world because this world is not our home anymore. That the, the patterns of this world are not to what we are to conform to. And we are called to Jesus himself. And it is a blessing to live a spiritual life that is, is pure and undefiled. And God is well pleased with that. And you are to be commended for that as we, the church, will step into this moment in the coronavirus event and express the very best of who God is and the very best of who we are in Christ as we move towards those that God is moving us to and move away from the evil that he is moving us away from in Christ Jesus. And we are gonna step up to that in this cultural moment. And um, the church is going to um, lift up God's name and God is going to do extraordinary things through your life and the life of the church. Uh, let's pray together and commit this to the Lord. Father, as we have come together, I pray that we have been greatly encouraged and there's been a clarity to uh, where we are to move and where to, we are to move towards. And this is to be commended, Lord. We desire, I pray you praise the desire, the grace and the mercy for us to desire to live pure and uh, undefiled before a ways before you. And I pray you'd bless the church and she would step into this moment of the coronavirus event and represent you and represent herself well, Lord, in the things that are most important to you that we've learned from the Apostle James these past couple weeks. And so thank you, Lord, for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys.